you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. But I believe that God has laid something on my heart. And here's what I want to do. I know we're in the Christmas season. And I know that you maybe have come expecting a traditional Christmas message. And my message this morning has a strong Christmas undertone. But I believe that God wants to minister to somebody in this house. Maybe you're here and you're going through the fight of your life. Maybe you're here and you feel that you've been rejected and you feel like friends and family and just society as a whole has turned their back on you. I've come to minister to you this morning. Just simple one point. And now listen, if you're waiting for points one, two, three, four, you're not going to get it because you're going to get one strong point this morning. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord. And uh, I believe that God's going to do great things in this house. Somebody shout amen. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. The, gas, the gospel according to Matthew says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. I want to preach to you for the next few moments on this Simple subject, he shall save his people from their sins. Why don't you put your Bibles down and why don't you lift your hands to heaven one more time and ask the Lord to speak into this house right now. God, by the authority of your word and by the power that is in your name. God, I dispatch your angel, ask that you dispatch your angels in this house, God, your ministering angels, and that you would walk up and down these aisles, God, that you would begin to touch every life. God, speak into every heart through your word. Anoint your messenger this morning, God. I pray that you would speak through me, God, and do what you want to in this place, and we'll give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone shout amen. Why don't you turn and shake hands with three or four people as you're seated. Say, Merry Christmas. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Preceded by more than a week of heavy rain, a a slow-moving storm system dropped tremendous amounts of rain across much much of Texas 
and Oklahoma in May of 2015, causing record-breaking floods. This flooding was responsible for 24 deaths, as well as causing some $27 million in damage to the Lone Star State's infrastructure. On May 25, 2015, CNN's news anchor Brooke Baldwin interviewed a man named Danny Pullian, along with his daughter Hannah. Mr. Pullian began to share his story of an amazing rescue that took place just one day prior on May the 24th. Mr. Pullian was heading to work when he encountered major flooding in the roadway that caused him to have to stop and to consider an alternate route. While stopping and taking a moment to consider what to do, a police officer approached his truck and he told Mr. Pullian that he needed to turn around and go back the way that he'd come from, that the road had been wiped out. So he obliged, and as he turned around, and he began making his way back along the route that he had traveled just mere minutes before, Mr. Pullian realized that the flooding had increased, and soon his truck was washed off the road. As the water levels begin, begin to quickly rise, Mr. Pullian realized that he could not stay in his truck any longer because the water was beginning to fill the cab. But he soon found himself standing on the roof of his truck trying his best to escape the floodwaters and almost certain death. Mr. Pullian said this, and I quote, My options were gone, and I realized that it was simply over. He said, I have had no more choice left. He said, I, I told myself that I can't stay here hoping that help would just happen to come by in time. But I also knew that if I jump and try to swim to safety, I will most likely drown. Mr. Pullian began to tell the news anchor that he began to expect that he would die there on the roof of his truck. He said that he pulled out his cell phone and he started calling his family one by one, but nobody would pick up, nobody would answer. He called his wife and she didn't answer. And he began to go down the list and no answer and voicemail after voicemail until suddenly, finally, he called his daughter Hannah who happened to pick up the phone. He told his daughter, he said, I'm stuck and I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I don't know that I'm going to make it. He said that this would probably be the last time that you ever hear from me. And he asked her, he said, would you tell your mother and the rest of the family that I love them and that I'm so sorry that I couldn't make it? Trying desperately to survive this ordeal, Danny Pullian remembered something from his childhood that might be his only hope for survival. He called 911, and he began to tell the operator his exact location. He told the emergency operator that a helicopter rescue would be his only option for survival. He recalled when he said, they got it right, but I still had to wait on top of that roof for 45 minutes or so before help would come. He said, I had reached the point that I had lost all hope. He said, the water began to cover what was left of the roof of my truck, and I thought that I'm either going to jump or I'm going to be swept away. 
He said, I found myself praying for just one more chance. Soon the helicopter arrived and Danny Pullion was rescued and it was a great story and he was flown to safety and reunited with his family. But there is a twist to this story that I've purposely left out that I want to share with you right now. Because Mr. Pullion went on to tell in his interview on CNN, he said, I, I knew that I was close to what was used to be called Gary Air Force Base. And he said that as a crow would fly, I was maybe a mile away. He said, my father was stationed there in 1947. And that was simply, that was the year that I was born. Mr. Pullion began to share a memory from his childhood when he said, my dad was the very first, had the very first rather helicopters that any military branch had ever had. They brought them down from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. He said, and I quote, my father was one of the first helicopter rescuers, if not the first in the military, but maybe even the first on the planet. He went around the world rescuing people from situations just like I found myself in. Mr. Pullion then said, and I quote, my father developed and constructed the cable system that was attached to the helicopter that would be lowered down and pick people up where helicopters were not able to land. He said this in his closing of his interview. He said, my father's passion and desire to save lives would eventually become my salvation. You see, this Christmas story, this text that I read to us this morning, talks about an event that took place thousands of years ago. An event where a king left his robe and left his, his, his throne in heaven and he came and he wrapped himself in swaddling clothes and he wrapped himself in flesh and he came and dwelt among us. You see, from heaven's perspective, the birth of Jesus was spectacular. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. But from earth's perspective, the birth of Jesus was mundane and was disappointing. There was no palace. There was no fanfare. There was no one there to greet him. There was no no presidential suite in a hotel. There was no birthing room in a hospital. But there was a barn and there was a feeding trough. Listen to me, I want to stop and pause and tell you to not let people tell you that just because your external circumstances are being challenged, that God, that Jesus isn't in your circumstance. Mary and Joseph had traveled approximately 80 miles on a donkey. When they arrived, there was no room in the hotel, yet a Savior was still born that night even though it was in a barn. Circumstances would have told them that they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Circumstances would have told those around that nothing spectacular was going to take place tonight. 
that there was not going to be a king that's going to come into this town and there wasn't going to be royalty born on this night. But I want to tell you that it was on that fateful night, that silent night, when everything was against Mary and everything was against Joseph and the circumstances could have caused them to be down and out that the Savior, Jesus Christ, came to earth and he was born in a manger, in a stable, in a barn among livestock, and he came to save his people from their sins. We must understand that the glory of his coming was not in the furniture that he laid in, nor was it in the environment that he was surrounded by. It is not about what people could see. It wasn't about that people understood, but rather it was, what, it was about what they could not see nor understand. Listen, his birth wasn't about an earthly baby boy that would be born that night, but it was about an eternal Savior who came to save his people from their sins. I want to tell you that this Christmas season, these next couple of days when the celebrations will take place, and as you go about your business, uh, maybe even tomorrow like I will, trying to finish up your Christmas shopping, I want you to understand that it's not about presents it's not about lights. It's not about meals that will be consumed. And it's not just about the memories that are going to be shared around a Christmas tree. But this season is about a baby boy. It was about a king who left his robe, left his throne in glory, and he came down to a lowly manger. He, When he should have been in a palace, he came to a barn. And when he should have had the best bed to be laid in, he was laid in a feeding trough. But listen, he understood it. But he he did it for you, and he did it for me. He didn't need all the fanfare. He didn't need a palace. All he needed was a place that would receive him. And in this Christmas season, all that Jesus is looking for is somebody that would receive him just like he is. Don't expect a king. Don't expect all the fanfare. Just receive him as he is. What? What a story that was told in Scripture. Notice the possessiveness of our text. When Matthew writes, he shall save his people. He shall save his people from their sins. The possessiveness of this text denotes a deep love and affection for his people. If I saw a possession of yours, if we were standing on the brink of a river and I saw that you had lost a possession, Sister Nancy, and it fell in the water and it was going to be swept away, I, I would try to help you recover that. But if I saw the longing in your eyes and if it was something that was so precious to you that you just didn't know what you were going to do without it, then I would try even harder. But there is something about if I'm standing on that same brink of, of a river and I lose and I drop something that is very precious to me, something that I've worked for, something that I've toiled for, something that I have given my life for, there's, there's going to be a different reaction because I'm going to do everything 
everything that I possibly can to recover that, that which I had lost. Listen to me right now. On this Christmas season, I want you to know that Jesus came because you were his most prized possession. He gave his life for you. He gave everything that he had for you. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. He was cast aside. He was rejected. And he looked and saw the sinful nature of man. And he said, I'm not going to let them die lost. I'm not going to lose that which I work for. And he came down from heaven just to save one sinner. Because he loved you that much. The Bible says it like this, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. God loved you so much that he left the throne room of heaven. Knowing, knowing that he was going to be rejected. Knowing that they were going to turn his back on him. Knowing what he was going to have to face 33 and a half years later on an old rugged cross. Knowing the pain, knowing the torment, knowing, knowing the desires that he was going to have as an earthly, fleshly man. Knowing all those things, yet he came. And he came so that he might save his people from their sins. The Bible describes his people, not a people. And we know, we know that God's chosen people were the Jewish, were the of Jewish descent, and He was coming, and He was coming to save His people. But we know the story that He came. The Bible says that He came to His own, yet His own received Him not. Listen to me. That if if it would have turned out like it was supposed to have turned out. If it would have been, if the, if the Jewish people would have accepted him as the Messiah, then we would have had no hope for salvation because those were his people. But because they rejected him, because that they turned his back on him, Jesus said, I will have a people. And then he turned to the Gentiles and he said, these are they that received me. And we became the people of the Most High. God, listen to me. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you came from. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter what your last name is. God looks at you and he said, you are my people. You are the reason that I came. I came to save you in the midst of your circumstance and in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your trouble. What would it have been like that day in Genesis Speaking of his people, what would it have been like that day in creation for him to dig Brother Brandon in the dirt, to get down and to get his hands dirty, to begin to form? Because the Bible says that man was formed out of the dust of the ground. When he knelt down and he began to get his hands dirty and he began to form man, the Bible says, in his own image. And he began to, to, to make a nose and he began to form an ear and he began to put a, a, an eyeball in an eye socket and he began to, to, to form your ten fingers and your ten toes. He began to, he began, and man began to take shape. What would it have been like that day? 
to be the creator of the universe, creating what would become his most prized possession. And then as he knelt there in that dirt with dirt all over his robe and his hands, and he began, the Bible says, to breathe into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. The work that it took, what he had invested in man, because not only did he create man in his image, but he gave man his very own breath. He put his breath into man because there's something about when I look down on this front row, and I, I see Aiden, I, I see him as my son, but when I look at him, I see a piece of me. I, I see he looks like me. Thank God. I can't, I can't get any. Anywho, he looks like me. I look at him. It's, sometimes it's like looking at a mirror. And there's something that when I look at him, I look at Brantley, and I see myself in them. There's something about, about the love that rises up in me. And I, because I've, got, I've, got, I've, got, I've been, I'm invested in those children. I, I, I help give them breath. I help. You understand what I'm saying? When God would look at man, he would see, he sees a piece of himself. He said, they, they're made in my image, and, and not only do they look like me, or not only do they have all these attributes, but my breath is in their lungs. What it would have been like that day, knowing how much that he had invested. Then he the Bible says that he placed man in a perfect environment and had relationship with him. He would walk with men, man in the cool of the day in the garden. Man had everything that God had designed for him to have. Then sin crept in and man was yanked from the presence of Almighty God. No longer was there relationship. No longer did man hear his voice, but sin separated man from the presence of God. Sin had so engulfed man it, that the Bible says in Genesis 6 that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God said, that is not what I had in mind for my people. Sin has a ransom attached to them. Sin has engulfed them. But I'm not content with letting sin and letting the enemy separate my creation from me. So God said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to become the ransom for man. I'm going to come down and I'm going to lay my life on a, down on an old rugged cross and I'm going to let my blood be shed because I'm going to purchase my, my creation back. It's been ripped from me. It's been taken from me. But I'm going to go down and I'm going to walk on earth as man and I am going to save my people. Listen to me. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. The enemy may have knocked you down and maybe even knocked you out. But Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to give you another chance. He is saying to the enemy, get your hands off them because they're mine. Get your hands off of them. Those are my people. I've already purchased them with my blood. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. I'm quickly drawn to a close this morning. 
the woman called in the act of, of adultery. The law said that she should be stoned. The law said that her life should be required for what she had done. Those around her had already convicted her. They've already, they had already picked up stones to cast at her, to take her life. But Jesus knelt in that same dirt, in that same dust that he created that woman out of. He knelt, and the Bible says that he began to write. I would like to know what he was writing, uh, Brother McDonald. I would really like to know, but the Bible doesn't tell us. And I, and I want to submit to you this morning that it's not really important what he was writing, but what was important, that he was kneeling down, and once again, he was getting his hands dirty in that dirt that he created that prized possession out of. And he began to move that dirt around. And I like to think that his memory was jogged to a day long before when he knelt on creation and he began to form man. He began to mold him and he said, you know what? I, I, I know what she's done. I, I know where she's been. I know where man's at. I know the sinful nature. But it doesn't really matter to me because I love them enough. I love them enough to form them and now I love them enough to save them. Hey, listen to me this morning. God doesn't care where you've been. God doesn't care the sin that you're in. He doesn't care what you're facing, but he came to save you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. This woman represented, represented all humanity because even David said in Psalms 103, he said, for he knoweth our frame and he remembereth that we are dust. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, but he took the long way because he said, I need to go through Samaria because there's somebody that I need to come in contact with. He said, I need to go. What you need to understand this morning is that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were considered to be dogs. So there was no reason for him to go by Samaria other than that there was a woman sitting by a well that needed to hear and that needed what he had to offer. He approached her. We know the story well. He said, give me a drink. And she said, I, sir, I, I don't even have anything to draw water from. I, I can't give you anything to drink. And she began to she began to bargain with God. But he looked at her and he said, if, if you knew who asked you for a drink, you would ask of him that he would get and I and I would give you living water. He said, He that drink of this water of the well will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give them will never thirst. But the water that I give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I don't know what it, you need here in, in this building this morning. I don't know what you come carrying. I don't know the baggage that you drug into this place, and it really doesn't matter to me. But I want to tell you that whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that seems impossible, whatever it is that you can't seem to get through, I want you to know that there is a Savior here this morning. He came to this house. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. You may 
be lost and undone. You may be trapped in a, a mess of sin, but God doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is that he came to save his people. And I want to tell you this morning that you and I are his people. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to set us free. I close this morning. Three Hebrew children were thrown into a furnace that was seven times hotter because they would not bow down and worship the idols. There was a fourth man, though, when the, when the king had his men check on them, he said, did we not throw three in the fire? They said, yes, king, we did. He said, but I see four, and the fourth has the likeness to the son of man. I want to tell you that wherever it is that you find yourself, whatever mess that you find yourself, whatever impossible situation that you could find yourself in today, God is there in the middle of it with you. Well, you may say, well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get that because I don't feel him. I, I don't see him in, anywhere around. All I see are, are the mountains. All I see are the storm clouds. But God is in the middle of the fight and the trial, and he's with You see, his people are broken. We, his people, are, are broken. We, we make mistakes. We're, we're wounded and we're messed up and we're hurting and we're bleeding and we're battered and we're torn. I have good news for you because Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 3 that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is bought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. As I close today, there's no question of his ultimate purpose for coming into this world was to redeem the world and his people. He came to redeem that which was his from the beginning of time. He came to deliver us from the curse of the law. 
He came to destroy the works of the enemy that through Jesus we might overcome any attack and every attack that the enemy could ever bring against us. He came that we would have power. The Word of God says to trample on or to tread rather on serpents. And if we drink any deadly thing, it will not harm us. And I want to tell somebody in this place today that God, if God is on your side, if the Word of God is true, and I believe that it is, if God is on your side, then there is no devil in hell that can stop you. If God is on your side, then there is no sickness that can kill you. If God is on your side, then there is no force that can silence you. If God be for us, who can be against us? We used to sing that song in this church years ago. I've been redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now reside because I have been redeemed. Stand with me today all over this building. It is amazing to think that as much as a gift as he is to us, that we could be just that much of a gift to him. You see, the wise men brought or came bearing gifts fit for a king, gifts that were fit for those of royalty. Yet he didn't come in pomp and circumstance, but in humility and loneliness. He didn't come to a, to a palace, but he came to a stable. He didn't come to be laid as a baby in a cradle worthy of a future king and to eventually sit on an earthly throne. But he came to a manger. He came to a feeding trough and to eventual rejection and death on a roughly hewn cross. You see, you can't, you can't talk about the birth of Jesus without talking about the death of Jesus. You understand that the same thing that held him as a baby, the same thing that he was laid in as a makeshift bed, was constructed of the same kind of wood, Brother Alfonso, that would ag aggravate his beaten back he would feel as it would scratch and poke him as he was hung on a cross. And he would give his life as a ransom for you and I. It's hard for us to imagine a God that loved us that much. I'm going to ask you a question in closing. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody love you and you couldn't figure out why? Have you ever had that feeling their love was hard to figure out? Have you ever looked in a mirror and wondered what they could see in you that you can't see in yourself? That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you and I. Well, preacher, it's impossible because you don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I've, I've made a mess out of my life. He doesn't care. 
You may look in that mirror and say, there's no way that God can love me. It doesn't matter. I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is that God loves you, that God cares about you, that God's concerned about you. And he will reach to wherever you're at. It doesn't matter what kind of mess your life is in. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. It doesn't matter if you live in a trailer. It doesn't matter if you live in a mansion on a hill somewhere. God loves you. God loves you. And he's concerned and he cares about you. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is hard for us to fathom that the creator of the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, knowing who we were going to be in knowing what we were going to do in the future, that he would love us to such an extent that he was willing to come to where we were in order to save us. Somebody may be saying in this place, well, I, I, was, going to, I was going to get some things straight in my life before I came to him. But I want to tell you, you don't have to wait. Well, I need to get some things straighten my life. I, I didn't know that I could come to him in my mess and I, I didn't know that I could come to him in the middle of my dysfunction. I didn't know that I could come to him with all my scars. I didn't know that I could come to him with all my wounds. I had no idea that I could come to him just like I am. But here's the cool thing this morning. Jesus is calling to us this morning. And he is saying, I'll take you just like you are. I'll take you broken. I'll take you bruised. I'll take you bleeding. Come on, if you're bleeding, I'll bind your wounds. I'll, I'll, I'll mend you. If your heart's broken, come on, I'll put it back together. I'll take you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what kind of condition that you're in. I'll take you just like like you are. If you're depressed, he'll take you. If you are fighting the fight of your life, he'll take you. If you just feel broken, he will take you just like you are. Jesus is calling and he's saying, I'll be your savior. I'll be your rescuer. I, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to give you an opportunity this Sunday morning. Maybe this is not a, a normal Christmas message, but I want to give an opportunity in this room to anybody that may be here. You haven't given your life to Jesus and you haven't been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with evidence and speaking in other tongues. I want to give you an opportunity this morning and let you know that today could be your day. Today could be your day for salvation. Today could be the day that God completely turns your life around. What better time than in this Christmas season to give your life to someone who gave his life for you, to give your life over to a Savior that came and he gave his life for you. I'm asking, I'm opening these altars, and I'm asking for everybody in this place. I don't care, uh, visitor, member, I'm asking for everybody to come forward. And I want us to respond to the word of the Lord. And I want to make it, I want to make an appeal. 
that if you have not given your life to Jesus, that you would do it this morning, that you would make a decision, not wait till tomorrow, not wait till everything is right in your life, but let him take you just as you are. you would raise your hands all over this building right now and you just begin to pour out your heart come on begin to praise him and thank him God thank you that you'll take me just like I am I thank you God Lord Jesus that you loved us enough that you would come that you would face certain death in order to save us which were lost you came to redeem man who was unlovable that we could not do it on our own but God you became the price for our sin. Place to earn the love of Jesus. You can't be good enough. 